Welcome back to Epilogues, an unpacking of the weekly Haftarah. You are listening to Rabbi Yaakov Tramp. This week we are going to be looking at the Haftarah of Parshas Yisroi. Our Haftarah is taken from Sefer Yeshayahu, Perik Vav, the entire Perik, the sixth Perik, to Zion Vav. The next Perik, six Psukim in, and then we take a couple Psukim from Perik Tes, which is the ninth Perik, Psukim He and Vav. This is a very important Perik. It really deals with the main feature of this Perik, is the idea of the Ma'ase Merkava, the vision of the chariot, literally. This appears two times in Tanakh, and they are both associated with the giving of the Torah. The one is here in Yeshayahu, the earlier one, which is in Yeshayahu Perik Vav, and the other one is, of course, famously in Yechezkel Perik Aleph, which is read as the Haftorah of Shavuos. The Haftorah of Yisro, which is the giving of the Torah, has the Ma'ase Merkava of Yeshayahu, and the Ma'ase Merkava of Yechezkel is read on Shavuos, which is also about, obviously, the giving of the Torah. One has to ask, why, what is the Ma'as Merkava and what is the significance it has to the giving of the Torah? Um, it is very clear that the Ma'as Merkava is the closest a prophet, a regular prophet, gets to seeing um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to seeing the divine throne chamber of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yechezkel describes it in great detail, Yeshayahu in much less detail, as we see in this parak, but it's an expression of seeing Hashem, which takes us back to an important Point, and that is that uh, the Mahamad Harsina, the Sinai experience, was not simply the um, transferring of a detailed textbook about how to live one's life, but it was the experience of exper- of seeing and experiencing the divine. And therefore, the Torah is reflecting upon that, that what happened at Sinai was not Israel getting the Ten Tablets, but it was more the experience of this co- communion with the divine on a national level, which never has happened ever since on such a scale. Um, this is what really Matan Torah was, and we get a sense of that by listening to Yechezkel. While doing that, we also get a sense of uh, through the life of Yeshayahu Anavi, and we hear a number of things in this prophecy which help us as time markers in terms of his life and what he is achieving. This particular episode is actually, as most of the Mepharshim argue, the Radak and the Malbim, is actually the first nevoah. It's the initiation of Yeshayahu to be a Navi in the first place. Um, and Ababinel disagrees with this because even though it is the sixth chapter of Yeshayahu, really it's the first prophecy that he has and it's pretty evident through the texts. And that is such as well. Rashi adds in that it's also this all occurs at the same time of the major earthquake in the northern kingdom, which occurs t- during the times of Amos. Amos is a contemporary of Yeshayahu, and this is occurring at the same time. So a lot of cataclysmic events occurring at the same time, which leads us to this. And we hear the introduction is Bishnas Mois Uhamelech Uziahu. This occurs when Uziah Melech dies. Now, his dying actually doesn't refer to his actual death, but it refers to his receiving leprosy. Because if you remember back to Sefer Melachim and Sefer Devarayamim, what happens is that Uziah Melech, or his other name is Azariah, um, was, a, um, was a king of Yehuda, of Judea. And he, in his arrogance, felt that he wanted to take a priestly role, wanted to get involved in the service on the Mizbeach. And when doing so, he was stopped by the Kohanim, and he reached out his hand to take to revenge upon the priests who were reprimanding him, and his hand became le- and he became leprous, and that he never left his leprosy for the rest of his life. So he was really invalid as a king or as a person. He lived, lived outside, according to what it seems evident in the Psukim. He lived in a, the cemetery outside the city for the rest of his life. So this is talking about the death, essentially not the physical death, but the spiritual, emotional death of Uzziah. That's when Yeshayahu. Um, enters the scene, and we're, to, we're told that he sees, I see God sitting on a 
God upon his lofty throne. And he describes these angels, Seraphim, which are high-level angels around him. They have these six wings. He describes how the wings cover the various parts of them. And they are calling to each other and saying, Kadosh, 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 Hashem which is a statement that we say in Kedusha three times in Shachris and again in Mincha. And this is the phrase which comes from our section and it talks about the movement of these angels as well. The Gemara addresses the fact that this is all that it says about the Mahas Amerikov of Yeshayahu, very, very little, in fact, compared to the entire chapter in Yechezkel Aleph, the Gemara points out in Chagiga Yud Gimel Amubayis, that Yechezkel was seen as a villager compared to the townsfolk um, Yeshayahu, meaning Yeshayahu lived in the city and he saw dignitaries all the time. So he, he saw the mayor all the time. So when the mayor drove past to him, it was like, oh yes, of course. When, and he didn't need to give so much uh, so much de- attention and detail to it, whereas Yechezkel had never been to the city, and when he saw the mayor coming, he was like, wow, that's amazing, and he goes and describes the wheels and the entourage and the cars, and w- that's what's really going on over here, is that you see the attention that Yechezkel gives to it is because he was not familiar with this, whereas Yeshaya was much more spiritually aware and involved in such a way that when he had this Ma'asem recover, when he saw the divine celestial throne chamber, it was less a, of a description. He was It was something he was more... Uh, akin to as well. We then hear that Yeshayahu responds to HaKadosh Baruch and he says, V'amar oili ki nidmeisi ki ish tamei svasayim anachi yosech am tamei svasayim anachi yosheh. I'm impure of, of, of lips and I live among an impure uh, lips of um, people. I'm not worthy of the mission that you are sending me on as well. Um, and uh, and then he, uh, it describes how an angel comes and uh, and he has these tongues and comes over to him and touches him upon his mouth. He I'm touching those lips that you said are impure. And it's going to therefore atone from your for the sin of the lips that you talked about. What are the sin that we're referring to? The Malmi says um, that it refers to because he did not say anything to a generation which required admonition, they required rebuke, and he didn't. That was his impurity. So the angel says, I'm going to fix that by your giving rebuke to them now as well. And now he gives them the mission. So in Psukim Ches to Yudgimel, we hear what this is. What is that? Hashem says, I'm going to, he, Hashem says, almost ruminating, es mi esha, um, um, eshlach, umi who is going to be the messenger of Omar? Yeshayahu says, Hinani shalachayni. I am ready, send me. So now he has changed his tune. Now that he knows that, that he is, his sin has been forgiven, he is ready to try to atone for it by his actions of rebuke. And Hashem says, you're going to tell this people, you should know what's going to happen. Because this nation has become fat. These people are no longer seeing because they have become too opulent. They have become too involved in material wealth and therefore they don't listen to the to to to, to Hashem and there will be punishment. So Yeshayahu interjects and he says, Omar, Ad Mosai Hashem. Till when? When will this happen? Hashem says, until the land is made desolate. Notice something interesting here. Rabbi Beni Lau in his commentary on Yeshayahu points out that as opposed to prophets from before who accept the prophecy of Hashem and go and deliver it, Yeshayahu interjects, much like Avram Avinu. He is also struggling with this. He's trying to say, well, Hashem, how far does this go? He's not willing to just accept it over here. We then hear at the end of this parak, or parak Vav, about, the, um, about how the king, King Uzziah, was afflicted, and that's referring to his leprosy. Um, and we hear that in this uh, during that period, period in time, 
we hear that he now um, we now hear about the um, the, the replacement of Yotam, um, of Yotam as well, which, which takes his place. It's worthwhile noting at this point in time, this is sort of the missing chapter, where really the, the, the in-between section over here, the end of Perigvov really should have been what happened to Yotam, that he was uh, the, the son of Uziah or Azariah and he took his place, but we don't hear so much about him. And part of the reason is, as the Mephorshim explained, is that really... Um, he went back, Yeshayahu went back to the base of Medrash. During the times of Uziah, there was a time that he had a lot to say. The times of Yotam, it was a time of prosperity. It was a time of spiritual prosperity as well, which is why we don't hear Yeshayahu operating during these times. Okay, so in between Uziah and Ahaz, his grandson, we have Yotam. We have very little about him. Suffice to say that Gomorrah and Sukkot tells us that Yotam was one of the kings who had no sins. And part of the reason why he was so lauded was because of the honor he had for his father, even though his father was spiritually and physically not well. He, did, he only served as a shofet. He, he served to do the work without receiving the accolades. He was a very worthwhile, very worthy king who led a worthwhile generation, which is why we don't hear Yeshayahu operating during this missing chapter. But now we move on to Perik Zion, in which we hear about the times of Ahaz, who is the son of Yotam. And we hear that during this period of time, Yeshayahu tells us that there is a coalition that comes against him. Their names are Ritzin, who is the king of Aram, and Pekach ben Ramalyahu, who is the king of Israel. They come against Jerusalem to besiege it um, because they want him them to fight. What is it they're seeking? So you go back into Sefer Melachim and Sefer Dirayamim, you'll see that the rising empire in the Middle East is that of Assyria, Ashur. And the immediate buffer zones but, um, to the north between Assyria and the southern states are Aram and, the, and Israel, the kingdom of Israel. They form an axis to try to stop the encroach of the Assyrians, which ultimately will fail, but they want Judea, Yehuda of the south to join their coalition to strengthen them. And the king of, uh, of, the, of Yerushalayim, Ahaz, who is the, the son of Yotam, the son of Uziad, refuses to join the coalition. And so therefore, interestingly enough, um, Israel and Aram come against Yehuda, Yehuda, against Yerushalayim, because they refuse to join the coalition. They try to remove Ahaz to put a puppet in his place. They want to put in, in in his place as the as he tells us uh, over here. Yeshayahu tells us um, this this person Ben Tavel, who's a person from Gilad, and they're going to they want him to uh, to take over so they can now have a three state alliance against the Assyrians. At which point Yeshayahu renders a prophecy to Ahaz in Yerushalayim, and he says. Don't be afraid. This is not going to materialize because from these two Znavosa Udim, these smoking tails, they're, they're nothing. Don't worry about Ritzin and Pekach. Um, you're not, you don't have to worry about them because uh, ultimately they will not be a threat to you. That's what Yeshayahu was telling them. Interestingly enough, Interestingly enough, and this prophecy takes place by the Upper Springs, where he comes to tell them the prophecy. What is interesting about this um, is that ultimately Ahaz turns out to be a very bad king because the way he solves the siege is he doesn't listen to Yeshayahu knowing that there'll be everything will be fine. He sends and he opens the coffers of Jerusalem and sends the money to Assyria. He reaches beyond north to make an alliance with Assyria. Assyria comes, sweeps in, and really essentially this is the first tour to destroy Aram and Israel. So, so this is Israelite against Israelite, the Judeans against the Israelites, as he pulls in the Assyrians to break the siege. He doesn't listen to Yeshayahu. 
Um, ultimately, Yeshayahu's prophecy is true, but he uses a terrible way by bringing in the Assyrians who ultimately come to besiege Jerusalem in the in a generation's time as well. Terrible, terrible thing. And uh, and at this point in time, now the prophecy moves to um, Perictes, our, our Haftarah moves to Perictes, Hey and Vav, where we talked about how there's going to be a son to Achaz, he's going to be carry the royal um the, the royal power, and that's going to be his name is going to be Pela Yoetz Kel Gibor Avi Ad Sar Shalom. That's a very long name, but about a person who's worthy of advice, who's a powerful person, a person who brings peace. And who's that and and, and that will be the establishment of the kingdom of David once again. Because what Yeshayahu is essentially saying at this point is, is that although you Achaz on not doing what's correct because Achaz fully aligned himself with not just Assyria but Assyrian culture, brought Assyrian uh, altars into the base of Migdash. Um, there's going to be a son to you, Achaz, whose name is Chizkiyahu, and he's going to be this, this advisor of peace who's going to bring back unity to Israel, and that's what's referring to in the future as well. So this clearly closes through the Shishayahu, through this very small section, we see his his. I'm operating as the advisor and Novi to Uzziah, to Yatam, and to Ahaz. A lot over here to absorb. And this is the closing of that Torah of Yusra. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.